0: Today's episode is brought to you by Lily CBD. Today's guest, Mira Mariah, also known as Girl New York, is someone I saw speak at a conference last fall and was totally
1: in awe of. Welcome, Mira Mariah. Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: So happy to have you here. As I said to you before we started recording, I saw you at Chronicon last fall and was just totally floored by every word coming out of your mouth and your story and said, okay, I got to get this person on the podcast. So I'm so honored to have you here today.
1: Oh my God. And thank you so much for being at Comic-Con. I think it's really cool that that's how so many disabled people that have become my friends have come into my life.
0: Oh, I love hearing that so much. These communities are so, so important. So let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit about who you
1: are, where you're from and what you do? Sure. My name is Mira Mariah. I am a tattoo artist in Brooklyn, New York. I am Girl New York on the internet and I exist kind of somewhere between like artist and like influencer and mom blogger. (laughs) And that's my experience. And I'm also a left leg amputee. So I'm missing my left leg from from the knee down.
0: Yeah. So I'm excited to dig into this and how you navigate Life with this because you were wearing some kick ass boots at Chronicon when I saw you.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks so much. I mean, fashion is such a big part of my life, and I love fashion. I think fashion makes every experience just so much more joyful. And it's a really big goal of mine to make opportunity for and celebrate people with disabilities and chronic illness getting to participate in fashion.
0: I love that you say that. And interestingly, I'm not sure if you've seen this yet. But right before we started recording, I saw that Zappos is starting to sell single shoes and mixed size pairs for people with physical differences. Have you seen this? And what does it make you feel?
1: Yeah, that's really exciting. And it's so cool. I also think we live in a time that's really exciting where the internet can spread that information. Um, Nordstrom has been doing that forever. Like even before, you know, the internet existed. Well, I think the internet existed. But when I was a small child, I had two different size feet and I would need to buy two shoes and they would sell them to my parents as one pair so they could afford them. Love hearing that
0: there's no reason that these companies can't be inclusive. So it's nice to see that it's continuing to happen more and more, especially for these large, really well-known companies like Zappos. Yeah. So you mentioned your foot. Let's go back a little bit. You were born with a club foot and underwent several corrective surgeries as a child and teenager. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what it was like growing up?
1: Yeah, actually I can. I grew up as a disabled person, but not really knowing that I was a disabled person, just kind of like knowing I was slightly different, but I don't think I would have ever called myself disabled when I was like a child. So that, that was my experience. It was a birth defect and it was, you know, kind of fixed. And I had some difficulty walking and I used some braces throughout my life, but like the word disability did not exist for me.
0: What did disability mean to you in the greater world?
1: I don't know. I I try to think back to like what I thought about it. And I think I just thought that they were talking about like people who used wheelchairs or like people who couldn't get by without help. And at the time I was a child and I could get by without like very much help, but like even then not really, but like it wasn't all the time. And it kind of became this really confusing experience that I am really glad to, as we get older, find the language for much more readily available. So
0: in 2009, your leg was amputated, and you now have a prosthetic leg, as you mentioned. How did you approach the transition to the prosthetic?
1: Because I was a teenager, I was just so excited to like go back to what I thought of as my life, you know, like go back to my retail job and like go back to being with my friends and go back to dancing and go back to all my favorite things that I, I don't really think that the transition was necessarily like very intense, you know, like recovery was obviously a really complicated experience. And my spiritual recovery has been, you know, an even longer experience, but I was excited to have a prosthetic. I had a prosthetic within a few months of my amputation surgery. Do you remember what those conversations were like with friends and going through that process? I remember my mom kept telling her friends, you know, just to kind of like prepare them. And so many people responded with the same sentence, which is really crazy. And they were like, but she's so pretty. Wow. And because like before then... I was disabled, but it wasn't apparent or language that I used. I feel like a lot of people didn't see me that way. And even to this day, a lot of people don't see me that way. And I don't even think if they even literally meant pretty, they just meant like, I'm so feminine and like, I wear all these dresses. And like, I think they were maybe confused that somehow that was related to the conversation, but it seemed to be brought up a lot. And what does the word disabled mean to you now? Honestly, right now, I just think disabled, it makes me think of my community and makes me think of a community of people that are experiencing different level of ability than is standard. How
0: did you come to find that community or create that community? Because I can't imagine, or maybe I'm wrong, that you had that the whole time, even growing up.
1: No, I mean, over the last five or six years, especially through the internet, I've started to kind of grow and connect and find other disabled people and get to know them. And I think that's been really amazing. And, you know, through things like Chronicon, I think that really solidifies community. I think Instagram hashtags, you know, really help. And even a long time ago, like Tumblr hashtags really helped me a lot too.
0: What kind of things were you finding through your searches?
1: Um, my goal and the thing that I put a lot of focus on is always disabled people people in fashion and then, you know, getting even more like disabled femmes in just kind of the style world. And I think that that's been just like really cool and really growing. It's growing a lot in visibility and that's really cool, which makes it easier to find, easier to access and easier to replicate.
0: Well, and I think the big thing is also showing that you are represented in the fashion world, as you said from the beginning.
1: Yeah, Definitely. I know we're talking so much now, I think, about visible disability, but do you think that there are ways that fashion and style and beauty can be more aware of people with invisible disabilities? It's a really good question. I mean, for
0: me, it's interesting when I think about myself. A lot of stuff I dealt with when I was younger, especially, was skin conditions And without people verbally hearing from me that I had underlying conditions, they didn't know what I was going through. And I was always wearing long sleeves and pants in the summer to hide what was happening on my skin. But I'm not sure that there was clothing that would have made a difference unless it was something more cooling and soothing than just wearing cotton basics. Um, That's a really good question that I don't know I have the answer to.
1: That's okay. I was just curious about your thoughts and also like as someone who wants to someday make clothes, I really want to consider as many people's experiences as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear from listeners their thoughts on that. So definitely if you're listening to this and have some ideas on the fashion space as it relates to your invisible illness or invisible illnesses that you experience, I'd love to hear more and I can certainly share it with you it's not something I've really thought about. So really got me thinking now. And I'm going to think about this further. (coughs) And this is my chronic illness with this stupid cough. So give me a second.
1: Take your time.
0: So has your relationship to your prosthetic changed over time, physically or emotionally? Is it something that you've learned to embrace that you enjoy? What is that like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that my relationship to my prosthetic changes in two ways. Like there's a grand scale where my relationship to my prosthetic is almost always going, I think in a direction of love and acceptance. And then there's like a smaller day to day scale where my relationship with my prosthetic is kind of, you know, floating a bit more. And like, there's days I want to throw it across the room. And there's days I am grateful for it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And I feel like that's the way with chronic illness and invisible illness that some people are grateful for it. We had a guest on the show a while back, who had bipolar disorder. It was episode number eight with Mac Glazer was talking about how his bipolar disorder was his superhero and how he looked at it in such a positive way. And then that there are days like all of us that are just like extremely over going through what we're going through, which I imagine is similar to you. Um, You mentioned to me previously that you have a lot of pain from nerve damage. Can you talk a bit about what that is and how you manage it on a day to day basis?
1: Sure. A lot of amputees deal with like phantom pain, which is something I also deal with, which would be like pain in what's non existent in your limb after limb loss. And then there's also the nerves that you have in your body, like once they've been cut, they can be aggravated. For example, a few years ago, I had to have my sciatic nerve cut back because I lost my leg when I was still growing and then my sciatic nerve continued to grow. And that was really painful and made walking difficult. It made resting difficult. It made wearing my prosthetic difficult. And that's you know something that can kind of flare up and it can be really frustrating because I feel like it always flares up like in the wrong moment. And I bet a lot of other disabled people feel that way where you're almost like hoping for it. Like if you can get me till Saturday on Sunday, you can do it. You know,
0: I do. And honestly, it's something that I majorly relate to because I was the kid who every time I had a birthday party, I was always sick as a kid. And it was all the, you know, just anxiety and anticipation leading up to the birthday party and the excitement. Led to physical flare ups. So I definitely relate to that. And it's so not fun how the timing of things work like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think living my life like spontaneously has really helped me with that and like knowing that I can have fun at any moment. Tell me more about what that means. Like, I am a very spontaneous person and I live in New York and I love parties and it's like, you know, disabled people deserve glamour and luxury and fun. So I like those things. I like champagne. I like dancing. So rather than like have a big event that I'm really looking forward to, even though like, of course that does happen. I try and like, just take advantage. Like, okay, I'm like feeling really healthy today. I can get a babysitter last minute. I'm actually going to go dancing tonight. I love that.
0: Yeah. I think it is about celebrating like the small moments in life. It doesn't have to be huge celebrations and that you can still enjoy yourself. You mentioned babysitter, which I know you have a daughter. What is it like navigating life with a daughter and what does she know about your health?
1: Margot knows everything about my disability and like understands it really well. And she knows a lot about other people's disabilities too, just that kind of exists in our life. I really love that about her. I really have benefited a lot from disabled parenting groups and disabled parenting groups on the internet. And I think that all people, whoever they are, if they feel called to parenthood or motherhood should follow through with it. And I think that there are so many ways to parent as a disabled person.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. And I'm sure those communities are really helpful in figuring out how to communicate with your children. How to navigate what that looks like. And does she get questions from her friends about you?
1: Sometimes, but she just answers them very calmly and very honestly. And I feel fine about it. I don't really feel any negative feelings about children asking me about my disability. I do expect adults to pace themselves appropriately. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, you can have that expectation, but not necessarily get the results that you want. But I love that you have the confidence to feel good about, you know, your life and your body and how you navigate things, especially in parenting. So what I love is after seeing you at Chronicon, I started following you on Instagram and seeing your amazing work. How did you become interested in tattoo artistry? What drew you to that as a career?
1: I think tattooing reminds me a lot of fashion because it's something you wear and it's kind of this like very small moment in time that gets locked into like your spirit and your personality. And, you know, I think tattoos look cool and I think it's really rock and roll. And then just to keep on theme, I think that disabled people are inherently really rock and roll. And then we get left out of the conversation. And that's really frustrating because you have to be really rock and roll and innovative and creative and kind of strange to like be disabled.
0: Incredible. So how and when did you decide to start sharing about your disability, especially through social media?
1: I've kind of always just talked about it. And then the language that I've had to talk about it has developed. Like, you know, it started out where I would just be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I have one leg. And then it kind of became like, I have one leg. And here's what you need to know about the people in your life that, you know, might have a disability you can see. And I also talk a lot about a disability you can't see because I think I fall into an interesting category where I am physically disabled. And Then because people have been given these ideas about amputees, maybe they feel like that's not a real disability or like that it's not physically uncomfortable. I feel like people started seeing all these like amputees running marathons and then assumed that like, okay, well, that's nothing then.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Lily CBD. Lily CBD is organically grown and an everyday essential to help you feel alive. Russell Marcus was a guest on episode 51 of the show and spoke about the value that CBD had on his mom's health while managing chronic pain. Over the last year, I've been regularly using Lily CBD at night, shortly before I go to bed to calm my nerves, and I see that it really helps relax me. I even love the taste. Head to LilyCBD.com and use code MADEVISIBLE, one word, at checkout for 15% off. That's lilycbd.com, code made visible, one word, at checkout for 15% off. Now, back to the show. So what kind of planning do you have to do on a daily basis for your disability and to sort of nurture yourself?
1: Well, I wear silicone liners that attach my leg on. So that needs to be kept pristinely clean. And then Because I'm wearing a silicone liner on my skin and because of my birth defect, most of my leg is a bit underdeveloped. I have to be quite rigorous about my skincare routine for my leg just to make sure that, you know, sometimes the silicone liner, if I get too hot for too long, like peels off. A bit more skin than it should or builds up calluses that could cause problems with prosthetic fit later on and things like that. So I have to be really rigorous there. And because of that, I became really interested in skin. And then I started just doing it as this luxury where like, I do this to my leg, I do this to my face, I do this to my body. And it's like for luxury and not for necessity, because necessity, I find boring.
0: <laughs> I am totally with you there. What are some of your favorite products?
1: I really love dove foam body wash. I think it's just absolutely the best. And I discovered it through another amputee on his Instagram. He was a football player who was in an accident and he was using it on his residual limb and it looks so soft and fluffy. And since I have so much nerve damage, it just seemed like it was going to feel so nice. And it, it really does. It's amazing. That's so
0: special that like you realize that it's not just about doing this thing for your leg, but it's also things that can be done for other parts of your body. And you can nurture yourself and take care of yourself. And it's not just this like, oh, thing that you have to do every night or every day. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Are there things in your life other than your skincare routine that you do on a daily basis? Do you practice yoga? Do you eat a certain way? Like healthy habits, I'd say.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I really love walking and my leg will do a lot better if I'm not just like sitting down for hours at a time. So, you know, I try to like kind of stand up and even like walk around my house. Um, I like enjoy exercising I enjoy dancing I dance with my daughter every day and I think that moving my body is a big part of my experience and like helping with my pain but also like resting and then finding a balance and balance is so exhausting (laughs) (laughs) so true like I definitely could and should eat healthier but I've just been enjoying food kind of however my body asks for it because I I had some trouble a while back, and I think this is just what's best for my mental health.
0: Yeah. I mean, mental health is a really good point in bringing up of what do you do in order to take care of your mental health? I think especially during a time right now where so many of us are still at home in quarantine, how do you make sure that you take care of your emotional well-being?
1: I really like reading. I really love spending time with my daughter. I try really hard to like fill my whole life with joy, like really Maria Kondo, but like kind (laughs) of maximalist. I love to be surrounded by things that are beautiful and fun. And I try to like build my life that way. I love that. And that's really helped me like making my house filled with art and items i like and books i like and trying to do that same thing for my daughter so that our home is filled with art she likes and books she likes my biggest mental health trick is just like leaning into joy i agree with
0: that you've worked with a lot of celebrity clients and you have this huge social media following and clearly you have a lot of respect from your clients and from your fans of your work what's the most rewarding part for you in the work that you do
1: The most rewarding part of my work is, I think, showing people that, like, tattoos are for everybody, and I I know I exist in in a world where a lot of people have only seen tattoos on thin, pale people, and I want to make it my life's work to show tattoos and fashion and fun on all people.
0: And so how did you start presenting that, I assume through social media, in making it more inclusive and it not just be thin, pale people?
1: The artwork I draw often is of people because I really like people. So making sure that the artwork I drew did not fit a heteronormative or Eurocentric standard of beauty which was easy because it just meant like drawing people I actually already thought were beautiful. And if you think about it, like when you think of people you think are beautiful, when you think of the people in your life, it doesn't really look like a Victoria's Secret ad. Your real gauge of beauty doesn't look like that. That's just kind of this really external one, right? Absolutely.
0: So what are some of the pieces of art that you've created on people's bodies
1: that you're most proud of? I'm really proud of, like, pieces of art that end up kind of being, like, sentimental to me. So getting to tattoo a family portrait on Rachel Cargill was such an honor and such a big deal and so much fun. And I know so many people of color really struggle to find where they're going to fit in with tattoos or what tattoos are going to look like on them. So I think that kind of representation is always so important to me. And also to be able to connect with someone I look up to so much and think is so eloquent and smart and driven was really amazing. But because I'm sentimental, like also the work on my sister and my brother, I think I hold really close to me as well.
0: Yeah, of course. Family is huge. What was the first tattoo that you got?
1: The first tattoo I ever got was a needle and thread on my ribs in St. Mark Street. And do you have tattoos? I don't. That's okay. It's not for everyone, it's a strange choice. (laughs)
0: It's funny because I really, you know, I look at certain ones and I'm like, wow, that's so beautiful. And as you know, you reference yours is really art. And I really see it that way. For me, it's just not for me, but I totally respect people that have it and
1: do it. Yeah, thank you so much. But I was just curious if you had had a tattoo or maybe even if you'd ever like been with someone while they got a tattoo. Like, have you ever been in a tattoo shop? I've been in a tattoo shop because I got my belly button pierced on
0: West 4th Street when I was 16, and they did it crooked, which was really lovely. But I've never been with anyone, not that I can think of, who got tattoos, but I certainly have plenty of friends with tattoos, some who majorly regret them and others who love them. But it's interesting to just sort of think about the process that people go through in figuring out how they decide what they get. I have a friend who has like 20 tattoos all over her body. And sometimes it's just like a spur of the moment. I want something. And other times it's a year in the making. So it's so cool to think about, you know, that process that people go through and making those decisions.
1: Yeah. How do you help people navigate that? I really don't guide people through that anymore. Now that I am where I am in my career. And I'm actually really grateful for that, because I was never very good at that. So if someone's getting a tattoo with me, the what, how big, where on your body, that's all been worked out long before we're ever going to be in a room together. Got it.
0: And so what about people who have disabilities and coming to you? Do you feel like you're the representative in the community for that?
1: No, I I don't actually. I think a lot of people have all different levels of ability and all different jobs. And I also think, you know, you don't need to talk about your disability on the internet if you don't want to, and you don't need to involve it to be, I think, like a member of the community and someone who can be more thoughtful and more things like that. But when people come to me, whoever they are, you know, I kind of check in with, what their abilities are just to make sure that I can accommodate them like you know do you need me to come to your house because you are homebound that's okay too we can do that or do you need to like research every ingredient in the ink I'm going to use because you're hypersensitive and you want to check that with your doctor like that's okay with me too like you know we can figure that out together and I think because of the way I am booking people we're kind of making individual plans for individual people.
0: I love that so much that it's not like some mass produced thing and really recognizing the person as an individual, because I don't think in an industry like this, that's really common. It's sort of like a factory somewhat in some tattoo parlors, you know, where it's just like, come in, get this tattoo and leave. It sounds like that process and the thought and time that goes into it. And obviously the creativity is so much a part of what it is that you do and
1: why you do what you do. You worded it so much better than I ever could, but that is why I'm doing this and why I I love doing it. And I actually really feel that I'm trying to do that about parenting as well, where I'm kind of just taking her in and me in as individuals and then going forward at our own pace and on our own scale.
0: I love that. What does she think about
1: tattoos? She thinks tattoos are really cool. She wears fake tattoos often. She's like really good at expressing herself, you know, and I think hopefully that I've like been able to give her the tools to do so. And even, you know, I think that the language disabled people are using can be really useful for all people because even helping her vocalize her needs and see what she can and can't do with and without assistance has been really cool.
0: Can you give an example?
1: Sure. Sometimes she'll just be like, hey, I need attention. (laughs) And I'll be like, okay, like what kind of attention? Like, do you want me to give you a bath? Do you want me to play with you? Do you want to read a book? Like, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to call a family member because you're sick of hearing my voice? (laughs) That's amazing to
0: be able to have that awareness and be able to ask for what you need because I think, especially in the invisible illness world, that's a major, major challenge of being able to ask friends and family members and loved ones for what you actually need and for you to educate and train your daughter to be able to, you know, lead by example and to do it for herself is such a powerful tool.
1: Yeah, she's really amazing. And I'm extremely lucky. Love that so
0: much. And so talk a little bit about your identity as it relates to New York. I know it's a huge part of who you are. And if you don't already know, I'm a born and raised Manhattanite. So I'm with you.
1: So cool. I love New York. I mean, I just think that like, for me, New York has always given me what I needed. And when I've felt the most disconnected from anything, I feel like it always pulls me back. And, you know, I love people, which I keep talking about. So like, New York just feels like the place with the best people. And it is an incredibly flawed and inaccessible city and all of that. But I still think it's the place with the best people.
0: I couldn't agree more, well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and discuss your experience. How can people learn more about you, follow you, and maybe get a tattoo by you?
1: um you can follow me on instagram. my Instagram is girl New York, but I spell new like I knew it and <laughs> like k n e w and You can find me on Instagram at Girl New York, G-I-R-L-K-N-E-W-Y-O-R-K and GirlNewYork.com. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you
0: so much.
1: I really appreciate you and I really admire all the work you're doing and think you're just fabulous. So thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible.
0: We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, Please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com and follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Gracio for the design.